This week as I was doing my study and going through 1 Peter's, we've been systematically going through 1 Peter. I was looking at verse 8 of chapter 3 and pondering and meditating on that passage. Finally, all of you, he reminds them and us, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And I was reminded of Philemon and Onesimus. And I thought it would be good and appropriate to consider for a moment uh, the letter to Philemon. I preached um, this uh, passage or preached through Philemon a few months ago uh, in Ryarsh and also in Bexley Heath. And some of you would, would a handful of you would have been uh, present and would remember uh, that, that passage. But I thought it would be good and appropriate for us to re- unearth this uh, portion of scripture or the letter to, um, from Paul to Philemon. And to consider the wonderful truth about forgiveness, about the power of the gospel in the transformation of relationships for the glory and praise of the Lord. Let us spend a few moments in prayer as we come to this passage of Scripture. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and we recognize our need of you. Our need, Father, as we open up your word, as we consider, O Father, what you have in store for us. We pray, Lord, that you may change us. Lord, that you may expose our sin. That your Father may reveal Christ to us. Yet again. And Lord, if anyone doesn't know you and is present with us today, that Lord, today be a day of salvation. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I know that some here like music and some have been playing instruments for some time. Uh, When I was 13, my father bought me a guitar and I had that guitar for a number of years. And then the Lord saved me. And I said to myself, I'm going to just play for the Lord. And so that guitar was, in a sense, consecrated for uh, the worship of God. And so I would play in church and, and uh, le- uh, play pretty much just gospel music. And uh, one day in church, as I was 18 years of age, I had only been a Christian for uh, about a couple of years. A friend turned up and asked if I could, if I could let him borrow my guitar. And I said... Yeah, sure. Next week came and he wasn't there. The following week arrived and he did not come back. I then learnt that he actually sold my guitar for drugs. And so I never saw my guitar ever again. I wonder if you have suffered at the hands of thieves. I wonder perhaps if you have been disappointed from perhaps even people within the congregation. It happens. 
it happens. And so this young man said he was a Christian and uh, he disappeared with my guitar, never to see him again. The Bible tells us that there will be false teachers among us, even false teachers. But I wonder if you have been wronged by anyone, even in church, and if that has ever happened, how did that make you feel? Well, from the letter to Philemon, I would like us to look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms lives and how the gospel of Jesus Christ also transforms relationships for his glory. Transformed lives, transformed relationships. So open, open up the letter from Paul to Philemon. You will find it after all the T's. So you'll have Timothy, Titus. Uh, or Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, but you'll, you'll find it also before Hebrews. It's just one chapter, and we'll go through the whole chapter together as we consider what God has for us from this wonderful uh, portion of Scripture. Changed lives by the gospel, transformed lives or transformed relationships by the gospel. His name was Onesimus. That was the thief. Not the thief of my guitar, but the runaway slave of this letter. You see, Onesimus was a slave. Slaves in that time were not like slaves of the 17th century. But very different. They were more like household um, servants, yet... They would have been uh, in bond or bound to these uh, families. And so this runaway slave took something from Philemon. We know not exactly what it was. It could have been money. It could have been some goods. But he took and disappeared. And Onesimus went to the place where all runaway slaves would go. Rome, the city, like People perhaps going to London to uh, spend their conquest or money that they took and stole or so on. And there he was living the life, perhaps sightseeing in Rome, uh, buying whatever he wanted, enjoying maybe uh, events at the Colosseum, uh, getting to know people, maybe girls, I don't know, squandering the money. But it so just happened that as Onesimus had passed through uh, Rome or was there, he came across another man by the name of Paul. Now, Paul was under house arrest. You know, at that time, prison was not a form of punishment. Prison was simply a waiting step before trial for punishment. And punishment at that time was vanishment from, from, from uh, the the, the, the empire or killing or uh, death. And so there's Paul. And somehow he comes across Onesimus. Now, we don't know how that happened. Perhaps Onesimus was trying to find a side job or uh, try to run errands for people. But regardless of that, he came to know Paul. And for those who know Paul, he was like Daniel Shwe. If you know Daniel Shwe, he just wants to share the gospel with everyone around. And so there was Paul sharing the gospel with Onesimus. And as Onesimus hears the gospel, 
he becomes converted. Suddenly, his life is changed. Suddenly, he realizes his sin, something that never bothered him. Now he was heavily bothered by, by the sin and what he had done before. And the Lord saved him graciously. Onesimus knew that he was a sinner. And Onesimus now knew that Jesus Christ was the Savior. And suddenly, Onesimus is transformed. Paul would have been working hard to maintain himself. Yes, even in prison. You know, prison was not like today where they spend 20 something thousand pounds per, per prisoner at the taxpayer's expense. Back in the day, they had to source their own food or their own money through the resources or friends or family. And so Paul would have been writing letters. And he needed someone to run errands to get food and so on. And no doubt Onesimus was there now with a transformed heart. And from the heart, he would have been now at the service and the, uh, the, the, for the good of Paul. Maybe buying items, saying notes. He was once a thief, but now he was a servant of Jesus Christ because he believed the good news of the gospel. But suddenly something happened one day. We don't know exactly how it happened, but perhaps he said to Paul, Paul, I I need to tell you something. Yeah, go ahead. Do you remember you said that you knew someone from Colossae, the place where I come from? Oh, yeah, 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 my, my, my dear son in Christ, Philemon, you see, Paul had been traveling through uh, uh, the area, the region, and Philemon became a Christian. Philemon was a wealthy man. And so Paul knew Philemon. He said, yeah, uh, Philemon, of course. And he said, yeah, the thing is, I, I actually know Philemon. Do you know Philemon? Why didn't you say before? Well, that is the problem, actually. Philemon is my master and I'm a runaway slave. I actually took items from him and I ran away. I stole from him. Now, we don't know, we don't know exactly how that conversation would have happened, but we do know for sure that Paul was aware of what happened with Onesimus and Philemon. Unknown to Paul, Unknown to Philemon and unknown to Onesimus, God was accomplishing his purposes through their lives for his glory. And so Paul addresses the fallout. He writes this letter. And you see, Paul in prison, he didn't have access to his phone. They took it away and so he couldn't send him a face or he couldn't FaceTime with um, Philemon or he couldn't really... WhatsApp him uh, or Signal or Telegram or whatever you use. He had to use what they did back in the day. They had to write letters. Now, I know some of you don't know what a letter is, but you can ask your mum when you get home or your parents. They'll, they'll explain. And so he writes this letter. And at a time when Royal Mail did not cover that area... Uh, he had to use someone else to send a letter. And so it was none other but Onesimus himself, the runaway slave who 
would deliver this letter to his master. And so there he is. Can you imagine Philemon's face when Onesimus knocks on the door with a letter from Paul to Philemon? He would have had a shock in his face. And Onesimus was not on his own. He was sent also with Tychicus, which was another uh, uh, fellow worker in the gospel. And so there they are, Tychicus on one side and Onesimus on the other, opens the door, Philemon, and then suddenly... He says, please, before you say anything, please read his letter. And so Philemon, it's a letter from, from Paul. Paul. And so he opens the letter and no doubt he begins to read. Verse 1, Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, it would have been his wife, our sister, and Archippus, and I can imagine Athia turning to the door and seeing Onesimus, and then Archippus there, the fellow soldier or worker, and the church in your house. You see, back in the day, they would not meet in church buildings. They would worship in homes. And because he was such a wealthy man, his home would have been opened for the church. We don't know whether this would have been the Lord's Day or Sunday, but maybe some members of the congregation would have been there in the house as he is uh, reading this, but even though this was a personal letter to address a personal matter between Onesimus and Philemon, Paul includes these names because he wants this letter to be read to the congregation as well as to his wife and son. To Philemon, a, philo- uh, a fellow worker, Anaphia, a sister, Anakipus, a fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philemon opens this letter with such a wise and, and, and in a winsome and, and beautiful way as he tells Philemon how he's praying for him. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. Now, that one sentence could be an entire sermon in and of itself. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints, when it says saints, it refers to believers in Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God sees you as a saint. Because the the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Whatever Philemon was doing was a source of refreshment for other believers. Now bear that word in mind to be refreshed. We'll come back to that in just a moment more. And while Onesimus and Tychicus are standing there, Paul now moves to the plea. Verse 8. According, uh, sorry, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And here comes 
the heart of the letter. What Paul wants Philemon to do. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So, so this, the heart of this letter is an appeal. An appeal for Onesimus. And then he says, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, before we consider the plea, notice how Onesimus is called. Look at the text again. Verse 10. Paul calls him my child. What is so remarkable about that statement is the person who is saying it. My child. Paul. A Jew. A former Pharisee, a man who would consider Gentiles, a Gentile was a person who was not a Jew, and the the Jewish or the, the, the Pharisees would consider Jews to be, they would class them as dogs. And so they would think of, of Gentiles as dogs, let alone a runaway slave. And here Paul is saying to Philemon, my child, Onesimus, He calls him my child because as Paul was preaching the good news of the gospel, Onesimus believed the good news. And in that sense, Paul gave birth to Onesimus. As Paul was preaching and as Onesimus heard the good news, Onesimus was born again of the spirit of God and Paul was the instrument. And in that sense, Paul was indeed a father to Onesimus. What Paul's saying here is that Onesimus has been powerfully changed by the power of the gospel. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel changes lives. Once this man had no hope, but now he has a living hope. Do you know of that hope? Have you been born of God? Can you see your need? Have you, have you been made aware by the Spirit of God of your need of salvation? Can you see you are a sinner in need of God's grace? Have you heard and understood the message of the gospel? The word gospel means good news. It is a good news. Have you heard the good news? The good news is that God created the heavens and the earth and all was good, very good. But man rebelled against God. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And in their rebellion, death came into being. This is why we die. This is why there's pain, suffering, death. They rebelled against God. But the good news is that God promised a saviour in Jesus Christ. Right back in the Garden of Eden, God gave a glimpse of his promise of salvation. Hundreds of years later, Christ is born of a virgin. The eternal son of God incarnate. Christ's humiliation, becoming a man to die for sinners in place of sinners, in place of sinners like you and me. 
Can you see your sin? Can you see the beauty of Christ, the only hope in glory? Have you run to Christ? Have you confessed your sin? Have you turned away and turned to Christ in saving faith? The Lord God is a merciful God. But this merciful God will by no means clear the guilty. This is why Jesus came to be As the Bible calls it, the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word. Propitiation means he appeased the wrath of God. He absorbs the wrath of God in our place. Christ Jesus dies for sinners. That is the good news. He appeased the wrath of God for sinners. But the first thing is you need to recognize you're a sinner. Once I was in Snodland Market sharing the gospel, we have a market table every Friday. We put literature and we just stop people to chat. Several of you have been there. If you haven't been there, I really encourage you to come along, especially when it's cold so I can stay behind in, my, in the warm. No, I'm just kidding. You can come along so you can see and, 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 and share the gospel as well with people. But one day, this lady was passing by. I don't remember if Arta was there. I think he may have been on that occasion. This, this lady, was a, 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 she was perfect. She was not a sinner. She said to me that she had never sinned in her life. Wow. I've never come across anyone like that. Well, I've come across, with, across some people like that. But, you know, it's tongue in cheek. Because there is no one who... Is perfect. But this, this woman said she was perfect. And so I was having this conversation with her. And uh, you see, on the opposite side of the market, there's this, this chap called um, Jason. He has a market stall on the other side, quite a large market stall. And as he was busy working, I could see him eavesdropping. And so he had one eye on one side and his ear just, just listening to our conversation attentively and so I thought two for one I'm sharing the gospel to one and he's hearing so yes even louder as I'm there sharing the gospel I say to her I hold the law of God before her I take the ten commandments and I show her the ten commandments as if it were a mirror so that she could see her need so I say to her the Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? And you know what she said? Never. <laughs> and the same way as you chuckled, Jason on the opposite side, <laughs> he chuckled. And he goes, you just did. <laughs> it's fun when an unbeliever heckles another unbeliever as you are sharing the good news of the gospel. But you see, the Bible tells us that we are sinners. There is no one that does good. No, not even one. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all are worthy of God's wrath and indignation because of our sin. Lying, stealing, cheating. Yes. Well done, and you've been paying attention. There's only one who is good, Jesus. Well done, absolutely right. But us, 
gossips and jealousy and envy and rivalries, hatred. The Bible demands justice for those who have sinned against God. And yet the only one who's never sinned died for sinners, taking the wrath of God. Praise God. But God who is rich in mercy with the love with which he loved us, gave himself or gave his son for us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel transforms lives. The gospel changes lives for his glory. So there he was, Onesimus, the runaway slave. Now he was reconciled to God. He had a new relationship with God. He was a changed man. He now had a new legal standing before God. But you see, Onesimus' change was not just a theoretical change. It was not a change that you sit down and discuss over a cup of tea in a, uh, at the pavilion. It, this change was, was an actual change. His life was transformed by the gospel. Look at verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, Paul says Philemon, but now... He is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, you may miss that, but there is a play of words here. Because the word Onesimus means useful. And what Paul is saying to Philemon is this Onesimus who once, who's never been useful to you, has been useful to me and is useful to you too. But there is something else. Not only is Onesimus now useful to Philemon and Paul, but he's more than that. He is now dearly loved by Paul. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Isn't that amazing? I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Now, the next sentence gives us an insight into God's providence. God's providence is God's ordering of life. It it is God's perfect, wise and holy, powerful preserving of creatures and actions for his glory. God's doing in the midst of life. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In other words, what Paul is doing, he's attributing the whole saga of moving from one place to the other, then meeting Paul, coming to know him, being converted and then returned back. And they're standing with a letter read by, by, uh, by Lehman. He's saying that God is the one who did all that. Unknown to Philemon and unknown to Onesimus. 
God was reaching Onesimus and God was bringing him back in order to make Philemon to be the person God wants him to be. To confront him with his sin and his need to to love. His need to forgive. His need to show what the gospel looks in action. And Onesimus to be reached by the power of the gospel. God wants Philemon and Onesimus and Paul to be the people he wants them to be. And so they become living examples of the powerful, transforming good news of the gospel. I wonder, have you ever had a fallout with a brother or sister here in the congregation? I wonder if someone has ever rubbed you in the wrong way or done something that you really didn't like. I wonder if you have had maybe out of the blue situations, things that you, things perhaps that you thought there were, there, there were water under the bridge and there you go again, the same person that you struggled with years before and there again. I wonder if there has been something that you thought it was a, a matter of the past and suddenly is resurfaced once again. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Keep your prayerful ears open and prayerful eyes open also because God works this way. God's providence works in such a way. So let's go back to the plea. There in verse 17, Paul asks Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not merely as a slave, but as a brother. Now, we don't know from the text that whether Paul is seeking his full freedom. But what we do know for certain is that Paul wants them to have a new relationship. A new relationship that defies the odds of cultural norms of the day. A relationship that is now based on love. And to show the extent by which the gospel changes relationships and the cultural norms of the day. Paul, an ex-Pharisee, a a, a Gentile hater or a dog hater, he adds, verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul. Write this with my own hand. I will repay it. In other words, it's his signature to say nothing of you owing yourself, owing me even yourself. By Paul saying, I'll pay his debt, whatever he stole from you, whatever he took. By him saying, I'll pay his debt. Paul is giving a vivid picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By doing For Onesimus, what Christ has done for us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, says that wonderful hymn. And to add some more strength to his appeal. Look at verse 17 again. If you consider me your partner. Your fellow sharer, receive him as you would receive me. You see, Roman law gave permission 
for masters to mistreat their slaves if they had run away. They were allowed to brand slaves with a, a, a hot metal. They were allowed to work them and overwork them until they, exhaust, they died of exhaustion. Roman law allowed masters to do that. But what Paul is saying to Philemon is that he wants, to, he wants him to treat Onesimus in the same way that Christ has treated him. While Philemon was the one who wronged Christ or wronged God, Christ paid for his sin. And Christ paid also for Onesimus' sin. And so, Paul then goes in verse 20. He reminds Philemon of the blessing that he has been to other Christians. Remember that word we said, refresh? Philemon had refreshed the hearts of many. Now look at verse 20, what he wants Philemon to do for him. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. By Philemon receiving Onesimus, it would refresh Paul. So while Tychicus and Onesimus are maybe standing there as he's reading the letter in front of everyone else, then he goes and closes this letter. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even what more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. Verse 24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's all we know about Onesimus and Philemon and Paul. We know not what happened we know not what, how this story closed or how this real life story finished. But I'm pretty sure that Onesimus, after receiving such an appeal, sorry, not Onesimus, after Philemon had received such an appeal for Onesimus, I'm pretty sure he gave instructions to have the room prepared for Onesimus. Not, not his dormitory, old dormitory, but the guest room where he would normally receive Paul or others. Church history says of a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was a church leader of the early church. Could it be this Onesimus? We don't know. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. And the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms relationships for the glory and praise of God. I know of another real life story of a man who had to go away for a trip. Quite a long, long trip for, for a long time. His wife was left behind. And in a moment of weakness... She was tempted and she committed adultery against her husband. Another man in the locality started talking and 
things developed over some time. A couple of days after his return, she could bear it no longer. The sense of guilt was crushing. The burden on her shoulders was unbearable. And see, she had to confess. She had to open up. She could have just said nothing. She could have just let, let it pass and no one knows. But she couldn't bear it any longer. Her husband felt like dying when he heard this news. Confused, distraught, overwhelmed by the revelation, he entered into a period of darkness of soul. He had the right to end a relationship there and then. But he considered. He said, I, I, I did not discover this. I, I didn't just suddenly realise what was going on. She's confessed to me. She has been clear and opened up and she's asking for forgiveness. Now, if I am a man who has been forgiven wondrously by a gracious Lord, all my sin forgiven, how am I not going to forgive my wife who has confessed and who's asking for forgiveness? And so, years have passed. And I can tell you, they are together and they are serving the Lord faithfully. The Lord has transformed their lives and the Lord has indeed restored relationships for the glory and praise of his gracious name. Now I want you to do something as you go back home this afternoon. I would like you to, to grab a piece of paper. Perhaps you can take the bulletin with you. And I want you right at the back to, to, to write, write down names. Maybe a name, maybe a few names. Names of people perhaps that have wronged you. Perhaps situations that have arisen since you've become a Christian. And you just, just put it on a piece of paper. And as you write down those names, perhaps someone who has wronged you at work or someone who's stolen something. Maybe someone who's robbed you. The, uh, robbed you, yeah, that too. And rubbed you the wrong way as well in church. And I invite you perhaps to pick one of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke or John, and read through. And pay close attention to the things that Christ has done for sinners. And as you read through, prayerfully seek God and say, Lord, thank you for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Gospel. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for Christ the Redeemer and praise him and praise him. And go back to that list that you have there and pray for the names of those people that are on that piece of paper. Pray and seek God that the Lord may transform relationships for his glory through the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to one another. For his glory. Now someone might ask. If someone hasn't asked for forgiveness. How can I forgive them? And that's a fair question. 
And there's a, there's a difference also between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive and it doesn't mean necessarily automatic reconciliation. But think about it this way. In the Bible, we have examples of those who had a willingness to forgive. And even if you have not been asked for forgiveness, there is that willingness to forgive, that willingness to go an extra mile. Like the prodigal son who had prepared what he was about to say. And the father from a distance ran towards him and clung to him and hugged him and and rejoiced in the return of his son. So let me invite you, my dear brothers and sisters, be reconciled to God. And be reconciled to others for the glory of God. Let us pray.